Well, we continue in Luke this morning. We'll be looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. Luke 5, 12 through 15. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, but now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I just ask that you would do what only you can do. Uh, Father, only you can soften a heart. Only you can open blind eyes. Only you can give deaf ears the ability to hear. Uh, So, Father, we ask that you do that this morning. And for those of us who do already savingly trust you, Lord. We know that we can barely hear sometimes and that we can barely see sometimes. God, I pray that this text, which we've maybe seen many times in our life, we would see Christ with greater glory. God, that takes a miracle of your spirit. That's what we ask for in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing on in Luke, and when I planned to preach through Luke, I planned in taking bigger sections much faster, and I think I'm going to continue to try to do that, or we'll be in Luke for four years, (laughs) but I feel like every week I get to the next miracle and I start studying it, and it's like, how are we going to hit four miracles today when you can live in these three verses? So for at least one more week, we're taking one little section. And um, a truth, just to give you an idea on the front end uh, where we're going, uh, a truth we need to always remember as Christians is uh, God will only be powerful in your life through faith. God blesses faith. In fact, in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And anyone who would draw near to God must, and he gives two aspects of faith, believe that he exists and reward, and that he rewards those who seek him. You might believe God exists, but do you believe that drawing near to him is reward to your life? See, when saving faith is acting the way it ought, it comes to God's word, it comes to Christ by faith, believing this is where reward is. Now, my goal, most of you know this, every week is to 
through the text, put Christ on display for you to see him as he really is so that in your lives you say, that's where my hope is. That's where my reward is. And if we're all honest, it's really easy to forget that. God built into the church the regular preaching of the Word of God, reading of the Word of God, singing of the gospel, because He knows how quickly our hearts can turn away. So on the front end, that's uh, the goal. That's where uh, we're focusing on. If someone was going to ask you, what are some attributes of God? Uh, some certain, certain attributes might come to mind. You might say, God is all-powerful. You might say, uh, God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. So He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient. Uh, you might say, He's all-loving. You might say, He's, he's just. He has wrath. You might go through... Uh, all sorts of different attributes, but many of you probably want to bring up the attribute that's on display in this particular passage. And it's a sweet attribute that if you don't know this, it might cause you not to not come to Christ, especially when you see sin in your life, especially when you're rebelling in your heart, and it's the attribute of Christ's willingness. Uh, when we look at the attributes of God and compare them to our, for example, power in comparison to Him, there's a big gap. When we compare ourselves to His love compared to our love, there's a big gap. Well, when you compare His willingness in the face of our willingness, we can also be shocked at the glory of our Savior. And I want to begin by just reading uh, a couple paragraphs from this book, Come Let Us Adore Him. Uh, it's actually a Advent devotional before Christmas. And I kind of wish it wasn't set in a Christmas book, because if I was going to buy 50 books and just hand them out to my neighbors or people I've been praying for, I think this might be the book I'd hand out. It, it takes probably four minutes to read the devotional in here. Uh, every day, and it just, at the end of every one, I'm just like, unbelievable. Uh, so let me uh, do December 2nd, the second devotional in here, and I'm starting a little bit into it. But he says, here's what the Christmas story is all about. A willing Savior is born to rescue unwilling people from themselves because there's no other way. Jesus was willing to leave the splendor of eternity to come to this broken and groaning world. He was willing to take on human flesh with all its frailty. He was willing to endure an ignominious, a birth that no one recognized, <laughs> in a stable. He was willing to go through the dependency of childhood. He was willing to expose himself to all the hardships of life in the fallen world. He was willing to submit to his own law. He was willing to do his Father's will at every point. He was willing to serve 
when he deserved to be served. He was willing to be misunderstood and mistreated. He was willing to endure rejection and gross injustice. He was willing to preach a message that would cause him personal harm. He was willing to suffer public mockery. He was willing to endure physical torture. He was willing to go through the pain of his father's rejection. He was willing to die. He was willing to rise and ascend to be our constant advocate. Jesus was willing. Now, we could take that paragraph slowly and just be in awe of Jesus Christ, this one who's so different from the way we are. The Sunday school is showing fallen man today. Fallen man is passive. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, comes into this world and he is willing. He is willing to self-sacrificially love, serve, suffer for the sake of others. So let's uh, look at this text and zone in on one specific area where Jesus Christ was willing Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. So let's stop right there. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Now, for us, you might have some idea what leprosy is is like. You probably know it's a skin disease. It's different than what we call leprosy in our day, which is also called Hansen's disease. But really, any sort of skin disease that caused uh, even sometimes uh, parts of your body to fall off, uh, your skin uh, to get scaly, was called uh, leprosy uh, in the Scriptures. And in the Old Testament uh, law, God uh, told Israel how they were supposed to handle this sort of disease. Because I want you to put yourself this morning in the shoes of the leper. You know, we read this and we're just like, oh, yeah, we've had stuff that, you know, uh, is uh, not something we want to we're excited about. We've had sicknesses or we've even had injuries that it would be shameful for everyone to look at, for everyone to see it. And yet, uh, here's uh, what uh, Leviticus chapter 13, the law of Moses, says uh, you're supposed to do uh, with the leprous person. This is the charge to them. The leprous person... Who, who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let their, the hair of their head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp of Israel. Now imagine, 
to have this disease, this sickness would be devastating. The physical suffering of it alone would be devastating. But imagine to have the disease and be isolated outside of your community. You know, in our modern day, sometimes uh, those who are have cancer and need chemotherapy aren't allowed to be around people because being close to them is actually dangerous. Well, in even a greater sense, these people have to live alone outside of Israel and at the sight of anyone that comes close to them, they have to warn them to stay away. Unclean, unclean, stay away from me. Can you imagine the devastation? Can you imagine the psychological problems a leprous person must have? A person created to be with people, to be loved, to be physically suffering, and yet to be asked to live outside the camp of Israel. And when, you know, you know, if you did live outside, you might dream of the day when someone would come walking by, and yet the charge of God here is if someone's coming, start yelling, get away. Unclean, unclean. You might be wondering, why in the world would God give this sort of law to Israel? Well, I think there's a practical reason. It's a quarantine of sorts to keep the disease from spreading in Israel. But there's also a theological reason. God is clean. God is holy. And to be in God's presence with God's people, we need to be clean. We need to be holy. That creates the problem of the Bible. How in the world can sinful, unclean people ever live in the presence of God with God's people in heaven? And there's also a Christological meaning, I think, as we're going to see that I think even this law points us to Christ, and, and we'll see that. But verse 12 says, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Which means if Jesus is in the city, he's coming in. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, last week we just saw Peter kind of give Jesus an eye roll of sorts, it seems, when Jesus said, let's go out fishing, throw your nets out again. And it seems like Peter was questioning Jesus's fishing ability, the power he has to catch fish. Peter realized his sin and said, get away from me. The leper, I think, has a little bit different problem. They both had a faith problem, but the leper's is different. The leper knew Jesus could heal. The worded 
got out to all the surrounding areas. They all knew Jesus could heal. But the big mountain to get over for the leper, the one who has been unclean and no one can come close to him, especially someone important, especially someone who's godly, someone who's known to be clean, And so the leper says, he begged, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He knows he can. But the question is, did Jesus come even for the most unclean outcast of Israel? Did he come for people? (laughs) He's just called a disciple who's a fisherman. You would not think of him as one you would go pick as a disciple. And now, will Jesus really be willing to make clean this leper? That's the battle. That's some of your battle as well. We're going to look at that in a moment. Maybe you know Jesus can heal and forgive and save But can he really heal and save you? Can he really change you? See, that's the big hurdle for some of us. Maybe some of you don't know you're unclean, and what I'm going to have to do today is help you know that you are. And some of you think you're so unclean that you can't imagine that Jesus would be willing to heal you. Look at verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Now, Jesus has already performed miracles where he didn't touch people. He just spoke and the healing came. We're going to look at some 10 other lepers that were healed with a word. But here, with this man wondering if Jesus would get so low to even heal him, he comes and touches him. Now, what happens to everyone in the Old Testament who touches an unclean person? They become unclean. They're not able to go into the temple. They have to do these ritualistic cleansings before they can enter the presence of God. They have to make sacrifices. And yet Jesus comes and he touches the leper and the leper becomes clean. (laughs) See, that's never happened before. You see, if you touch a leper in the Old Testament, you either might get sick yourself, but you become ceremonially unclean. But here, Jesus touches him. Jesus is willing to risk in order to show the divine compassion and love of God, to show the reason for which he came. And in a sense, Jesus didn't go make any sacrifices for his uncleanliness, did he? 
He didn't become ceremonially unclean, and yet, in one sense, he does. We're going to look at that in a little bit. He comes to those who are unclean, and he takes that punishment for the sin that we have upon himself and actually does suffer. But don't miss the touching of the leper here. Uh, and then in verse 14, he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself immediate, or show yourself to the priest to make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded f- for a proof to them. So what Jesus is doing now is in a moment, he said, I will, and he became clean. I will, Jesus says, my will is yes, be clean. He becomes clean. But that's not all. Jesus wants him to go do what the law calls for someone who's been healed from leprosy, someone who's had the disease go away. The Old Testament said uh, you need to go to the priest and you need to go through the rituals to actually be accepted back into the community and back into the temple where you can worship God. And if you have your Bibles, I want to take you to Leviticus chapter 14, starting in verse 1, and you're going to think, man, this is weird. Why does God (laughs) make all these laws of cleansing in the Old Testament, and yet they have such rich meaning? Leviticus chapter 14. Here's what God said to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. So this is the one who's been cleansed. He shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. He's going to check him out. He's going to look at his skin. He's going to see if he's better. He's going to go outside the camp and see him. Then, if there is a case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them, to take for him who is to be cleansed two clean birds and cedar wood and scarlet yarn and hyssop. These are all uh, different things that God requires in an offering of cleansing uh, in other places in the law. And the priest shall command them to kill one of the birds in an earthenware vessel over fresh water. So imagine a priest standing in a river with a bowl, two birds. He's going to kill one of the birds in the bowl. All right, you getting the picture? He shall take the live bird with the cedar wood and the scarlet yarn and the hyssop and dip the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water. One dead bird in a bowl, the live bird... And the other, the cedar and the yarn, put into the blood. So now, I don't know, maybe you do have a white pigeon or dove or something dipped in blood. And then it says, dip the live bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water, and he shall sprinkle it seven times 
on him who is to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Take, take this bloody water with these ingredients, sprinkle it on the man who is leprous. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field, into the wilderness. So you have this bloody bird fly away, in a sense, out of the camp of Israel. The disease gets carried away out into isolation. And then the leprous man can be called clean. And he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave all of his hair, bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. But then when he comes into the camp, he can't go right into the temple. And we don't have time to read all this. But what he has to do is he has to wait seven days, and then on the eighth day he needs to shave his hair, his eyebrows, and uh, uh, his beard, and uh, he shall wash his clothes and bathe in water before he can enter the temple. And not only that, but two lambs need to be sacrificed on his behalf. And the blood of the lamb needs to be put on his right ear lobe, on his right thumb, and on on his big toe. And then oil needs to be poured into his left hand, and that oil is to cover the blood on his ear, cover the blood on his thumb, and cover the blood on his toe. And these offerings are to be made to God before he can enter into worship. And Jesus tells this leprous man, he says, go to the priest, have all this done how it's supposed to be done. I healed you physically. I've made it so you can enter your community. And I've made it so you can enter into worship to God. And you're saying, so what's with all this weird blood covering, uh, a bird flying out into the wilderness? Well, most of you know that the Old Testament law was a shadow of better things to come. Jesus is the lamb who sacrificed, the blood who covers and cleanses a person. Jesus was the one who died outside the camp of Israel. Jesus was the one who lost all of his community, all of his friends left him, and even lost fellowship with his father as he took the sin of the world upon himself and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All these things are pointing to Christ coming and being the one who can actually say, I will be clean. Uh, I want to give you one verse. Some of you might be saying, now, is that, is that really true that these Old Testament signs, these rituals were pointing to Christ? Here's how uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10, verse 1 says it. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these things, It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. He says the law is a shadow. The Lamb's blood can never actually make perfect a sinful person. That can't happen. Otherwise, they would have not have, they, 
they would not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. Blood continually had to be shed in Israel for these sacrifices to worship God over and over and over again. If they could really wipe away sin, the sacrifices would have stopped. That's his point. But in these sacrifices, verse 3, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The writer of Hebrew goes on and says, when Jesus, the Lamb of God, dies on your behalf, he sits down, there's been a sacrifice once for all offered, and not only can Jesus heal you spiritually, and not only can Jesus raise your dead body from the grave one day and give you a body that will last forever, and not only can Jesus do the big-time impossible, change a selfish heart into one that is not, that doesn't tend towards sin but tends towards God, he's willing to do all those things. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Drives me crazy that I can't even say it as good as I should say it. This is our hope. This is the only hope that we have. And then we see in verse 15, but now even more the report went about, uh, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So what Jesus does is he charges he charges them, tell nobody, go show yourself to the priest. Don't go spread the word to everybody. Go show yourself to the priest. Go be made right in your community and be made right with God so you can worship. That's what he tells them. And yet what he does, and probably what you and I would do if you've experienced this miracle, is he goes and tells everybody because the same account in Mark one forty five. Here's what we're told. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people coming to him from every quarter. So uh, because the word spread with these miracles, uh, Jesus was hindered in going into cities and doing his ministry. And uh, what people seem to get hung up on, which Jesus didn't want them to, is when they saw the miracles, they thought the miracle was the miracle. When they're hungry and he gives them bread, they want to talk about the fact they got bread. Let's make Jesus our king and he'll make us bread. But that's not what Jesus wanted them to be shocked about. What Jesus wanted them to know is that miracle had a deeper spiritual meaning. All of his miracles did. Uh, Daryl Box says this, perhaps because the miracles are pictures of deeper realities, he wants people not to be overcome by the more obvious surface meaning, a tendency that proves hard to avoid. So let's just think of some of the miracles we know of. If Jesus can heal the body, then he can also heal the soul. 
If Jesus can cast out demons, then he can send the Holy Spirit to fill the void in the person's life. If he can make average an average Galilean fisherman a super fisherman, then he can also make that fisherman that probably isn't looked at as very smart or wise in the world, one of the greatest fishers of men. If he can calm the sea, which the sea represents the wrath of God all throughout the Bible, then Jesus can calm the wrath of God from destroying you. If Jesus can feed the 500 or 5,000 hungry mouths with food that perishes, he can satisfy the soul with food that endures to eternal life. Listen to John 6.26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of your fill of loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You see that? We have all sorts of people wanting to come to Christianity to get rid of the cancer they have. They go to some proclaimed prophet who supposedly represents God, and all they want is the loaves. They just want the cancer to go right now. But do they really want the food that endures to eternal life? Do they really want spiritual healing of the heart? Jesus will give that to you. He's a willing Savior. If Jesus can make dead bodies rise like Lazarus's, whose heart is cold and still and hard as a stone, then he can make your spiritually dead heart soft and tender and alive again. You know, when John the Baptist was wondering if Jesus was really the one to bring in the kingdom of God, John evidently had in mind someone that was going to look way more successful, maybe overthrow the Romans. I don't know. He, he started wondering. It's like he knew, but doubt started coming into his heart, like doubt comes into our hearts. Here, here, here's what he does. He calls two of his disciples to him and sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? You know, John's thinking, man, I thought I did my job right. Now I'm in prison in a not very long. His head's going to be chopped off. This can't be the will of God. And then here's what he's told. Uh, In that hour, he healed many people of diseases. So just as John's asking that, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, and, and he bestowed sight, and he answered them, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You see, John in prison was starting to be offended, it almost seems, by the lack of doing what he thought Jesus was going to do. 
And yet all these miracles of healing were pointing towards what he ultimately came to do and, and heal. I want to take you to Luke 17 before we bring it to a close here. Luke 17, we have another story of Jesus healing lepers, and I think (laughs) it'll be amazing as you see what happens. Uh, Luke 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. He's not in a village. He's between them. He's in the places where you and I would not live, but where lepers would live. And as he entered a village, uh, he was met by ten lepers who, uh, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourself to the priests. That's, that's, that's what he told uh, the one in chapter 5. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. <laughs> this is a shocker. This is a non-Israelite. This is a non-Jew. And yet he recognizes his healing. He's worshiping at Jesus' feet. Then Jesus answered him, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, I don't know what shocks you, the fact that Jesus just speaks a word and ten lepers are healed. That's amazing, is it not? You want to know what the shocker is? That one of the ten didn't receive that miracle selfishly, but came back and worshiped God. It's one thing to heal a disease. It's another thing to change the heart of man at the core of who they are and turn them into a worshiper. You can about imagine, look, I'm clean. Everyone else is running off to their new freedom. And yet, all of a sudden, this isn't what it's all about anymore. Who was the one who just did that for me? He recognized that this was Christ and he came back Spiritual healing had happened in his heart, and he worshipped God. The healing grew up into spiritual healing, into worship of God. Here's my question for you. Do you believe that you are unclean? In your sin, now you might not have the disease, Do you see yourself as the biggest outcast in Israel with the most uncleanliness you can ever imagine on you? You see, the Scripture says we're all these dirty, rebellious rebels against God. 
That's who we are. You might say, I don't like to hear that. It's like, well, I'm sorry. I don't get to decide the sermon. This is what the Scripture says about fallen man, the ugliness of man, the filthiness. That's you. And my question is, is do you see Jesus? (laughs) Do you see the fact that He can make you clean? And not only do you know that He can make you clean, do you know that He will? He wants to. Soften your heart. Realize that Christ is your only hope. I just want to show you these points in your notes quick. Trust that Jesus is willing to restore you physically. Before we do the positive side, let me just show you something real quick. Here's what sin did to you. It Sin destroys you physically. Sin destroys you communally. A husband and wife relationship got hard as soon as sin entered the world. Sin destroys you spiritually. Sin destroys you personally. You become less human. You become more like an animal. A creature of instinct that doesn't think and worship. Sin destroys our self-sacrificial service. We're meant to give to somebody. But do you see that Jesus is willing, He's able and He's willing to restore you physically? You might die of cancer young in this world, but He's the first fruits of those who will be raised from the dead. God created man. He took the dust of the earth. There's a body there. There's not a person there. There's a body there. And the person becomes a person when he breathes the breath of life into the person. And the body becomes active. Sin separates the spirit from the body. That's why at a funeral, that's not your dad. That's not your mom. That's their body. Sin undoes the creation. Now you have a dead body here. This is what we were talking about in Sunday school. (laughs) It's unbelievable how they connect. Is there any hope? And yet, in Jesus, He's not only willing to wash your sin away, but He guarantees that just as His body raised from the dead, so will your body be raised. If you die today, your spirit would go into the presence of Christ. Your body would be prepared to go in the ground or to be burned. And one day when Christ returns, they're going to come back together. You're going to have a body that will last forever. Jesus is willing to restore you physically. He's willing to restore you communally. If if Jesus becomes the main actor in your heart, if you cling to Him as your only hope and His Spirit comes inside you, your relationships will start to heal. Jesus will restore you spiritually. He'll make you spiritually alive where you're spiritually dead. Jesus will restore you personally. Here's the shocker. 
Jesus did an amazing miracle. He didn't want anyone to know. You want to know why? Because he's a personal God. He's willing to do that amazing miracle and not have everyone clap their hands. He went to that outcast, that single person. Jesus doesn't die for you generally. He dies for you specifically and personally. He touches you. Do you realize that? This is the Savior that is on display for us. Jesus will restore, is willing to restore you sacrificially. For Jesus to touch you, for Jesus to come personally into your life and make you a son and daughter of God and bring you into his presence and give you all the promises of the new covenant. He had to take your disease. He had to take your sin. He had to self-sacrificially die in your place. And he was willing to do it, and he did it, and he stands here today and says, I am willing. Do you see him? And will you have him? Will you ask to be cleansed? Here's the best news in the world. I don't know if you looked at this closely, but here's what Jesus said. I will be clean. I will. I, being Jesus Christ, will. I'll act. I will act, and you'll become. See, here's how everyone tries to get salvation. I'll act, and hopefully I can become good enough to be accepted before God. But salvation is 100% a work of God. It's 100% by grace. Jesus says, I will. It's my determination. I will do it, and you will become that which you're not. The things that are not will become something, a new creation created in the image of God. Isn't that comforting? Your salvation does not rest on your will. It rests on Christ. The question is, is will you come to the one who is willing? And will you fall down before him and say, I need to be clean. You're the only one that can make me clean. You're the only hope for my life. At the end of that Leviticus 14 passage, the last verse says this, the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. Jesus is your great high priest who was willing. He went, he made atonement, and you shall be clean. It's all about his mercy and grace. So here's your application. Pray this week for God to reveal to you how you may be doubting Jesus' willingness to restore you in these areas and write them down. For example, if you're a person that's enslaved by physical ailments, you're just on the Internet all the time worrying and la 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 you need to see Jesus' willingness. Now, he doesn't promise you healthy life on this earth. He promises you everlasting life with a new body. That's just an example. In all these different areas, I want you to pray 
and have God reveal to you how your faith can be strengthened. Meditate on this passages and others like it, asking God to strengthen your faith in Jesus' loving mercy towards you. Because here's the thing, all of us can see Jesus more clearly and our faith can be stronger. And my prayer is this morning is that you didn't see me, but you saw Jesus Christ through the Word of God reaching out to you saying, I will be clean. Father, thank you for (laughs) your Word that puts you on display, what mercy you show us. God, thank you for grace, the only way we could be saved. Lord, thank you for faith. Even the one leper that turned around and came back to praise God, you are the author and perfecter of his faith and his worship. Even that is to your glory. So we praise your name in Jesus' name. Amen.